If you got a Bible with you this morning, open with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we continue to answer this question, what's right with you? What's right with you? We're not interested in what's wrong with you. We're not interested in what might be off or out of place. I know everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got stuff that they wish was different. Maybe there's something wrong physically or something wrong in your emotions or relationships. But like we've said already in the weeks past leading up to this, you'll never fix what's wrong by focusing on what's wrong. I don't know if I've ever said it quite like that, but I'll say it again. You'll never fix what's wrong by focusing on what's wrong. You've got to find out what's right. Find out what the Bible says is right with you and then magnify what's right with you. Focus on what's right with you. And what you're going to discover is that what's right with you will fix what's wrong with you. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter five. We've looked at this for a number of weeks. You can probably quote it by now. But just skip all the way down to the last verse in this chapter. Verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Say this last part with me. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus who knew no sin. When he went to the cross, he became sin for us. So that we, and you could add here, who knew no righteousness, could be made, could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That is what's right with you, and that's what's right with you right now. Righteousness is is not something you will be. Righteous is not something you're about to be if you can keep it together long enough. No, through faith in Jesus, you are right with God, and you're right with God When? Right now. And this is what's right with you. So let's make that confession of faith again together. I am the righteousness of God. Now don't forget these last two words. In Christ. It's those who are in Christ Jesus who have been made right with God. Listen to it once again from the New Living Translation. It says, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I like the Amplified Classic that says, for our sake he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin so that in and through him we might become endued with viewing as being in examples of the righteousness of God. That's what we ought to be. Now listen to these words, approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. This is just what it means to be righteous. It means to be approved of, to be acceptable, to be accepted by God, to be in right relationship with him. And as we've said over the last couple of weeks, man, that is when life gets so sweet, when relationships are good, when relationships are right and what they should be. And many of you have noticed this before. It doesn't matter what else is going right. You could have a bunch of money stacked up in the bank. You could be doing good at work. You could have the dream job that you've always wanted. But if relationships aren't right, it's almost as though none of the other stuff matters. None of the other stuff is sweet because it's it's relationships being right 
that makes life sweet. And how much more so our relationship with God. Man, when that is right, everything is right. And that's what righteousness is. It means to be approved, acceptable, and in right relationship with him. Now, I grew up in a house and around a ministry, my parents and grandparents, in ministry my entire life. And the message of righteousness was something I heard preached a lot. It's something that my grandfather, when he first stepped into the ministry, he was just kind of preaching what he had heard. But uh, somebody gave him a stack of books by a man man named E.W. Kenyon. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but here's somebody who lived and preached and and wrote decades ago. And um, my grandfather had never heard him, or I don't think at that point anyway, but he he got a hold of a book. And I think this one particular was called, um, what is that one, Sarah? The, The Realities of Redemption. Realities of Redemption. And this book was all about our righteousness and this, this restored relationship with God. And my grandfather tells the story about when he was reading it. He happened to be on an airplane at the time. And he was sitting on the, the front row there of the airplane. And he's getting so fired up as he reads this. And, and he's got tears coming to his eyes. He's crying. He's shouting. He's excited. He's on an airplane with a bunch of people. And the, the woman, he says, pushing the booze cart. <laughs> who was coming down the aisle offering drinks to everybody, got to him and she said, can I get you a drink? Oh no, you've had too much already. And she (laughs) went right past him, thought he was drunk already. That's how fired up he got when he first really got a revelation of the right, being the righteousness of God in Christ. Some of these things I'm talking to you about right now. And that's what this revelation has the power to do in your life. It has the ability to totally change the way you see your life and honestly, the way you see you. Because so many people have trained themselves to look at themselves and see only what's wrong. Stand in front of a mirror and their eyes go straight to the parts they don't like, where there's too much of this and not enough that and, and standing back here and they go straight to what they don't like and that's where they focus And they don't just do it physically, but they can do it in every area of life. They can pinpoint with precision, here's what's wrong, here's what hurts, here's what I don't like, here's what I wish was different. But when you find out that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, and you are that right now, you quit all this focus on what's wrong, and you get excited about what's right. And this becomes your confession of faith when something's wrong. When you do have pain, when there is a lack, a shortage, or there is distance in relationship because of strife and division, your confession becomes, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And that confession of faith, in spite of what you see physically, when you'll make that declaration and make it bold, it will begin to change what's wrong. And going back several weeks, we talked about making that more of a practice in our lives putting those words in our mouths all the time. Hundreds, if not thousands of times throughout a day or a week, just to say it over and over. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. When something hurts, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. When there's a lack or a need, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. 
And that confession requires, to me, in my estimation, the highest degree of faith possible. Because you're making that confession while you look at something physically off or wrong. When you see something, when your, your physical eyes see something that's not right, it takes faith to declare that you are the righteousness of God. When you see your mistake, when you see your failure, when you see your sin, and you see it better than anybody else, and still you declare who you are in Jesus, that takes some faith. And God honors that faith. It pleases Him. And notice these words again from the Amplified Classic, what it means to be righteous. It means to be approved, means to be acceptable or accepted, and means to be in right relationship. But notice this, in Him. Help me, Lord, with this today. To be in right standing with God is to be approved by Him, which means you're not disapproved of by Him. It means to be accepted by Him, which means you're not rejected by Him. It means to be in right relationship with Him, which means everything with God is good. I started to tell you a moment ago, growing up in a house and around a ministry where we heard this preached all the time, I would hear my grandfather say, righteousness is an old English word that means in right standing with God. But even that expression, now I don't know that we, we fully understand it. I mean, we, we don't use it quite as much, maybe even as they did 50 years ago. And so in seeking the Lord, it's like, how do you say this? How do you get this across? To be righteous, you and I might say it like this in our own relationships. When, say, a husband and a wife, have, they've been at odds or they've been fighting or there's strife or division of some kind. And they want to get the air clear. They want to get everything settled. Because nobody likes living in that environment. They talk with one another, get everything worked out. And at the end of the conversation, which could be a short one, might be a long one, depending on personalities or what happened. At the end of it, you might look at each other and say, are we good? Are we good? Now, I kind of like it when two guys, two male friends have been fighting with each other. They can get to the bottom of it way quicker. Have you noticed this? They actually just start with, are we good? Doesn't require a lot of conversation. Don't got to go too deep. Just, are we good? We're good. What does that mean? Well, it means we're back in right standing with each other. <laughs> look at your neighbor and say it. Are we good? Are we good? Now look back at him and say, we good. We good. This is what righteousness, to be in right standing with God, literally means. You could go into the presence of God right now, just like we talked about last week, come boldly before the throne of grace, and in essence say to him, are we good? And you know what he would say to you? We're good. That doesn't mean he approves of every dumb thing we do and we miss it. We make mistakes. We sin. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. Because what does the blood do? It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Things that weren't right. 
And when you boldly come before the throne of grace and you take that mercy and you are washed in the blood of Jesus, you can look straight into the eyes of God Almighty and say, are we good? And he'll say, we good. Nothing between us. But here's what I, I believe the Lord needs to highlight today or is wanting to for us. Just because you are approved of by him, accepted by him, and in right relationship with him, doesn't mean you always will be with other people. It doesn't mean you always will be with every other man and woman in your life. Without a show of hands, I bet every one of us could attest in here to having been rejected, disapproved of, not in right standing with other people. But I want you to notice this in Scripture. Go with me, please, to the book of Psalms. Thank you, Lord. We're going to ask this question, what do we do when we're not approved of by other people? When we are rejected? When we're out of right relationship with others? Where do we go? What do we do? You're looking for Psalm 37. I don't want to take too long with this today, but I don't want to be in a rush. Is that okay? While you're looking at Psalm 37, let me remind you of the scripture we looked at over the last couple of weeks. And it was in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, that said, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. We're going to look at some scriptures today, but you're going to see something. And you're going to see more clearly maybe than you ever have the line that the scripture draws between the wicked and the righteous. Now we're going to look at a few verses and every time we come across the word righteous, I want to hear you say, that's me. Okay. So let's try it. Righteous. That's me. But you're also going to see the word wicked come up several times. So when you hear that, I want you to say, not me. See, all this is about identity. To claim to be the righteousness of God in Christ, you are claiming an identity. I identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. This word wicked that you're going to see here over and over, just like you see it there in Proverbs 28, the wicked flee when no one... Per- there you go, not me. Try it again. The wicked flee when no one pursues. That's a lifestyle of fear running in fear all the time. But the righteous are bold as a lion. See, which of these are you identifying with? Now, the word wicked, (laughs) when you look it up, it literally means, of course, to do wrong, to be wrong. But we're not focusing on what's wrong, are we? This word means guilty. This word means condemned. But if that's not you, then you're not guilty. And you are not condemned. 
And the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are, who identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. That's me. Did you find Psalm 37? We could read this entire Psalm, but for uh, uh, time's sake, I want you to skip down with me down around. Let's begin down around verse. uh, Look at verse 12. Psalm 37, verse 12. We'll read several verses here. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked, that's not me, shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Does that mean the Lord upholds you? Yeah, why? Because you're the righteous. That's you. You're the one not condemned. You're the one not guilty. It says their inheritance, talking about the righteous, their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish in the enemies of the Lord. Like the splendor of the meadows shall vanish. Into smoke, they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay. Oh, you got quiet. According to scripture, it is a wicked thing to borrow and not repay. But that's okay because that's not you, right? That's right. But the righteous, I said the righteous, shows mercy and gives. You said that's you? You're a merciful person? You're a giver? For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful, still talking about this righteous person. He's ever merciful in lens. Is that you? His descendants, your descendants are blessed. Said in verse 27, depart from evil and do good. Dwell forevermore for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous, you want to know about you? Let me tell you about you. You're going to inherit the land. You're going to dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Wisdom. You speak wisdom. His tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. But the Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him. 
talking about you. The Lord is not going to leave you in the hand of the wicked. The Lord's not going to condemn you when the wicked tries to judge you. So verse 34, what do you do? You wait on the Lord. You keep his way. He's going to exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you're going to see it. You're not going to be the one cut off, but you're going to be the one that sees the wicked, the guilty, the condemned cut off. He said, I've seen the wicked. That's not me. In great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, he said, yet he passed away and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he couldn't be found. Mark the blameless. In other words, identify these people, mark them, mark the blameless man, the blameless woman, observe the upright for the future of that person is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked is going to be cut off. But that's not your future. Verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous. Your salvation is from the Lord. He is, the, he is your strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord will help you, deliver you. He'll deliver you from the wicked and save you because you trust in him. Wicked? Righteous. Condemned? Not condemned. Guilty? Not me. Not guilty. That's you. That's you. Now back up to verse 25 and let's just... Look at this for a few minutes here. Psalm 37, verse 25. David in this psalm said a number of things about the righteous, about the promise to the righteous. But I want to draw your attention to this one today. David said in verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old. I was meditating on this verse all day yesterday actually for several days this week. And I nearly can't get past that one statement right there. I have been young and now I'm old. Anybody have that same testimony in here this morning? <laughs> no matter what age you are, every one of us could say I have been young and now I'm at least older, right? But I got to thinking about what that one half sentence means. I was young now I'm old. And there's a lot in that. To be able to say that means that you've lived a life and the Lord's kept you. And he's sustained you. And along the way, he's provided. Along the way, he's healed you. Along the way, this thing that came and tried to take you out and take you down wasn't able to take you out, wasn't able to take you down. You were young and now you're old because of the goodness of the Lord. And as I was meditating this, just this one statement, it got me thinking about my grandparents, Sarah's grandparents. Just a week or so ago, we got to spend a few days with Sarah's Mimi and Papa, who are some of our most faithful legacy church members. Uh, they live in Branson, Missouri. They kind of live the furthest from the house, but they watch. They are a part of these services, actually maybe watching us right now. Love you, Mimi. Love you, Papa. Uh, but we got to spend some good time with them. You know, and they could say, they could say the same thing David said. I was young, now I'm old. But what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means you've seen some stuff. It means you've been alive on this planet 
and up walking around long enough where you've seen some stuff. And one of the things I love and have come to love and appreciate, value and honor more than I ever did as a younger man about my grandparents and about that generation, I, I, I love how cool they are. I love how they don't lose it over stuff. They're looking at all the same news you and I are looking at. They hear all the same reports, living in the same nation, got the same government, got the same president, got the same Congress. But they just don't seem as affected by it. You know what I mean? Why? Because they've seen everything. Yeah, I don't know. Everything gets repackaged in new ways and people are like, we've never seen anything like this on earth. Well, ask somebody who's up around 70, 80 years old. And you know what they're going to tell you? We've seen it. It Maybe it didn't look just like this, but we've seen it. I love, after everything they've seen, how cool they are. I want to be like that. I want to be 70-something, 80-something. Now, not like today, but... I do want to possess that same stability. And I so value that and appreciate that about my grandparents, Sarah's grandparents. They have seen some stuff. And David, we know some stuff he saw. We know some of the experiences in his life, don't we? All the way back to when he was a young man, 17 years old. He thought he was just delivering some food to his brothers. And he saw a big old giant standing out on the battlefield and said, why anybody fighting this guy? I'll fight this guy. And changed the whole trajectory of his life. He's seen some stuff. Man, he was there when the Lord delivered the the nation of Israel. He saw it firsthand how God was faithful over and over and over again. He's experienced some things. And now he's saying, I was young. Now I'm old. But notice what he says. Almost in a way to sum up his life and his experience. He says, I've been young. Now I'm old. But let me tell you what I've never seen. You know what I've never seen? I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen his descendants begging for bread. I'm an old man, and yeah, I've seen some stuff, but I've never seen that. I've never seen this one who is in right standing with God forsaken by God. By God. Now, just a few chapters before this, David himself wrote... Even when my mother and my father forsake me, he holds me near. So there are those in this life, are there not? Just because you're right with God, accepted by God, approved by God, does not mean you are approved of and accepted by every person on this planet. So what do you do? When you get that feeling of rejection, what do you do when you experience what it is to be disapproved of, to be rejected? And again, we've all been there. 
Number one, you've got to recognize what's behind that. The enemy's behind it. And what he wants to do is make you and I feel so isolated. He wants us to feel so disconnected because somebody rejected or disapproved of us. He wants that feeling of loneliness to be all you're aware of in life. Do you realize right now in this nation and around the world, there is literally an epidemic of loneliness? Literally, medical science is writing papers on this right now. I was digging into this this weekend and found an article that came out like a month ago about the epidemic of loneliness that's going across this nation. They said it even began prior to COVID, but was magnified by COVID. And we all experienced that, right? I mean, they literally told us, stay away from each other. Come on, is that the enemy or what? And if you would just stay six feet away, now not five feet, 10 inches, because then you might get sick and die, but six feet, right? Disconnect, isolate. And I don't think people fully realized the habit they got into of living a disconnected life, living at a distance from one another. And Satan, he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know that that sickness, that, that virus, he's in that. But I got to tell you what else he's in. He's in people disconnecting. This is his big aim. This is his big goal. Let me put some distance between you and whatever is a flow of life to you. Because if I can create some distance between you, then I can cut off all that life that flows through and to one another. So he loves it when people feel isolated. And this is what's behind feeling rejected, feeling disapproved of, being out of right fellowship and right relationship with one another. So what do you do? Do you just yield to that? Do you just yield to the epidemic of loneliness? Do you just decide, well, because this one hurt me, this one rejected me, I'm never getting close again. I'm never stepping into fellowship or relationship again. This hurt, this church hurt me. Oh, don't get me started. So what do you do? You, you, you just decide to live isolated? You just decide to live alone? Can I tell you who's not okay with that? God himself is not okay with that. And he's not okay with this epidemic of loneliness. The righteous should not be living disconnected. I mean, think about it. If, if we were able to bridge the gap between, that existed between us and God, what's this little thing between me and you? What's this little thing between each other? That's nothing. We should not be living disconnected. And yet I know it happens. I know we, we experience rejection. I know that. I know that. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, thank you, Lord. What did David say? I've never seen the righteous, those in right fellowship with God, forsaken. I know other people will. I know family will forsake. I know family will, other translations say, abandon. 
Listen to what that word means. This word forsaken or abandoned, as other translations say, means to leave destitute, lacking something needed or desirable to suffer poverty. And David said, I've never seen the righteous left forsaken, destitute, suffering poverty. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 68, verse 6, that God sets the solitary in a family. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The New Living Translation says, God places the lonely in families. That should tell us he's not okay with you out living disconnected, living isolated, because you experienced some rejection. Where do you go when you're experiencing that? Go to the book of Genesis with me, if you would, please. I want to show you somebody who experienced rejection, perhaps like none of us ever have. In the book of Genesis chapter 37, we begin reading about a young man named Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, it says, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, this is a young man, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more, then all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So get the picture here of the kind of environment Joseph is growing up in. He's got a bunch of brothers. He's like one of 12, right? And they hate him. This is his own family. They couldn't even speak peaceably to him. They couldn't just have a normal conversation with him. They rejected him. Why? Because he was loved. He was loved and I'll add this, he had a revelation of it, of his right standing with his father. And that can tick some people off. And it ticked these guys off. They couldn't speak peaceably to him. Joseph, you know the story. He had dreams. He told them the dreams. And he said, hear this dream, which I've dreamed, verse 7. There, were, um, there we were binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose also and stood upright. Indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to mine. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And it never got any better, honestly. He kept dreaming and he kept telling his family about the dreams and they hated him even more and they hated him even more. And one day his brothers were out tending the flocks and his dad said, I want you to go check on them. So Joseph leaves the house to go check on them and he, he gets near to where they are. And the Bible says they saw him coming a long way off. And from the moment they saw him, they began to plot with one another how to kill him. Now, you might have grown up in a rough house. 
I dare say nobody in your house sat around when they saw you coming down the street and said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Now they may have said, I'm going to kill you, but nobody ever actually meant it, right? Maybe you grew up in a house with a bunch of brothers and sisters, but nobody ever actually sat down and plotted how to kill you. You think you've experienced some rejection? This is his own flesh and blood. And they said, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. But he had this one brother. Oh, thank God for this brother. His name was Reuben. He's the good brother. And the good brother says, no, don't kill him. Thank God for the good brother. What the good brother says was, let's throw him in a pit. When the guy who's on your side still wants to throw you in a pit, you are experiencing some rejection. Come on, is he accepted into this family? No. Is he approved of by his brothers? No. He's forsaken. They would really like to leave him destitute, and that is exactly what they did. They threw him in a pit, and if that wasn't cold-blooded enough, you know what the Bible says in this very chapter? It goes on to say they threw him in a pit, and down around verse 24, they took him, cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, and they sat down to a meal. That's cold, man. You have got to be cold-blooded to take your brother, throw him in a pit where there's nothing to eat or drink, and then be like, what y'all want to eat? And they sat down to a meal. And you know what happened? There came this band of Midianites, and they got this idea. Look, it does us no good to kill him. Let's sell him. So they sold him into slavery. And we pick up here in chapter 39. Look at this with me. Talk about being forsaken. Talk about being abandoned, rejected. I mean, when you're literally, physically alone in a pit, would it be possible to have some feelings of rejection in that pit with you? Would it be possible to be feeling a little bit uh, unaccepted? And they've sold him into slavery in chapter 39, verse 1. It says, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. It is not, I repeat, it is not okay for a born-again child of God to suffer through an epidemic of loneliness. It is not okay for you or for me to go through this life with nothing but an awareness of how rejected we've been by people, how unaccepted we've been by others, even family, when you have got a God who has never David said, forsaken the righteous, never abandoned them, never left them destitute. David says, I've been young, now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, and I'd add to it, and he's not going to start with you. Here's Joseph, literally, physically rejected by everybody in his life, and yet the Lord was with him. Look at what happens when the Lord's with you. Verse 2, the Lord was with him, and he was a successful man. Other translations say he was a prosperous man. 
he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. Watch how many times this comes up. And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. This is what happens when the Lord's with you because you're not forsaken. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Now, as far as pickup lines go, this is not the most subtle, I think. And I don't think she was saying, come, let's say things that aren't true together. I think lie with me meant something else. We don't have to get into all that. But this pressure she's putting on him, lie with me, she said. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what's with me in the house and he has committed all that he has in my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor uh, has uh, he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my master? Against God. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. This is pressure. Lie with me. Lie with me. Lie with me. <laughs> that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. It's a problem. It's a problem when there's no men in the house. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So it was that when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he's brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his, his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant came whom you brought to us. She's just not an attractive woman in my mind. I'm sorry. I just... I'm sorry. He came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was in prison. Notice it doesn't say his master went to him and said, what was your side of the story? What was your side of the story? Because his side of the story would have been, I ran, man. You want to know why Joseph ended up in prison? Well, she lied about him. No, that's not why. Because there was no men in the house. Had there been anybody else in the house, somebody could have backed up a different story. No men in the house. I'm just going to let that sit. We need some men in the house. We need some men who will do the right thing in the house, who won't be pressured 
by this woman and women like her. We need some men in the house. Amen. But here he is again, rejected. Rejected by now it's an employer who had trusted him and put him in a place of power. Rejected. Disapproved of. And he ends up in prison. Would it be possible to feel a little lonely down in a dungeon where you don't belong? Everybody always lies about me. Everybody, everybody hates me. Everybody tries to sell me as a slave. Now, I've never personally said that, and I don't think any of you have either. But would it be possible? It would be to feel that way. And yet, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. For time's sake, we won't read the rest of this story, but you know it, don't you? That he spent years there. And that at one point, two other guys got thrown in prison. And it was the king's butler, the king's baker. And one day, Joseph came into where these two guys were sitting. And Joseph looks at them and says, why are you guys so sad today? Come on, this is some insight into what gave this man some victory. Why are you guys so sad today? I think if he had asked me, I would have said, we're in prison, bro. And you are too, lest you have forgotten. Why are you guys so sad today? And they go through this whole thing. They've both had dreams. And, and Joseph says, well, don't dreams belong to God? Tell me the dream and we'll interpret it. And one of them had a dream and Joseph interpreted it. And the other had a dream and he interpreted that as well. And, and Joseph said, Hey, listen, when this happens, when you get called back up before the king, don't forget about me. He said, I'm down here in prison. Don't forget about me. And what happened? They forgot all about him. Would it be possible to be sitting in prison for years and years more while somebody is out there free who has forgotten about you? Would it be possible to sit down there and get so self-centered, so self-focused? I just feel so rejected. I just feel like nobody loves me. What does this man have a, rela- uh, a revelation of? The Lord is with me. It is not okay for the righteous, that's me, to live their whole lives as a lonely person. Even when you're rejected by family, even when you're rejected by friends, even when you've been lied about, lied on, cheated out of, wrongly thrown into prison, the Lord is with you. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you've been just stewing in feelings of loneliness and rejection, what you're lacking is an awareness of the constant presence of God. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. And just as we're making righteousness our confession, we got to begin to make his presence our confession. You confess you're righteous when you see something that looks the opposite of it. Well, you confess the ever presence of God with you and you do it when you feel alone, when you feel rejected. Thank you, Lord. 
Let me just give you another verse or two and we'll begin to wrap it up. Hebrews chapter 13 says in verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. You need to be boldly saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. When do you say it? You say it when man has rejected you. You say it when you feel unaccepted, disapproved of. What do you say? And what do you say with boldness? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Look at one last scripture and we'll wrap it up. Musicians, you guys begin to come, please. Second Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I apologize. That's a good verse though, wasn't it? I'm an heir. I'm a son. That's my identity. Thank you, Lord. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse 8 says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Verse 9, notice, We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Not forsaken. Struck down, yes, but not destroyed. This is our identity, church. This is who we are. And he says, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. That, that, those words, earthen vessel, literally mean a clay pot. That's what you are. That's what I am. And clay pots, you know this, they're not the strongest thing, are they? Pretty fragile, right? I mean, if you were to drop one, it would shatter. If you were to press on one, it would collapse. But he says, we have a treasure if you go back and look at the verses before it, he's talking about the glory of God himself put inside the earthen vessel. There is something in the vessel that sustains it. There's something in the vessel that keeps it and protects it so that when it is pressed, it's not crushed. That's us. Pressure all around us, and yet we're not crushed because of what's in us. He talks about being struck down, but not destroyed. He talks about how you can be perplexed, but not be in despair. Yes, you can have questions, but you don't have to be in despair just because you got a question. And notice what else he said. You can be persecuted, but not forsaken. Don't buy the lie. What lie? That you're all alone that you're isolated, that you're disconnected, that nobody's for you, that nobody's with you. Yeah, I know we can experience that from other people, but you've got a God who has made a promise to you and he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I was young and now I'm a little older and I can tell you, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their seed begging bread. And he's not gonna start by forsaking you. He's not gonna abandon you. He's not gonna leave you destitute, lacking, needing something. He's not gonna leave you in poverty. He ain't doing that to you. You've got 
got a God who will never leave you, never forsake you. And on top of that, you've got a brother in Jesus who went to the cross on your behalf when God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. And when he went to that cross in your place, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he forsake Jesus? So that he would never forsake you. So that he would never abandon you. Jesus was already forsaken. Jesus was already abandoned and he did it in your place. It is not okay for you to go through this life so self-centered with feelings of loneliness, disconnection, isolation. No! God takes the solitary and he puts them in a family. Amen. He puts them in a family. And the righteousness that you have with God, I want to tell you something this morning. As the pastor of this church, you've got that same righteousness here. You're in right standing here among this family that God has put you in. You are in right standing with us. You're in right standing with each other. Let's not let anything get between us. Are we good? What's the answer? We good. We good. Stand on your feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.